Hi, you're listening to The Business of Farming, a series of talks from the Young Farmer Business Program, brought to you by the New South Wales Department of Primary Industries. I'm Selena Shannon, and this episode was recorded at our 2020 conference in Dubbo. Owning your own business is a tough game to get into. Owning a business in agriculture is even tougher. Nigel Kieran has lived through years of variations in climate and changing business operations, and he's developed a saying to describe his experience. The one big thing that I know to be true is your thoughts create your future, and there is no doubts about that, and that's the one thing we've sort of gone about changing and manipulating in our business is how we view things and how we look at things. Nigel is the CEO and manager of Kieran Agriculture, He's been in agriculture for over 40 years. He's owned sheep, wool, cattle trading and pasture cropping enterprises. We were lucky enough to hear him speak at the 2020 conference recorded in Dubbo for you here. In this session, he shares with us the five key elements to creating a successful career in agriculture. One thing about in the last three years, we've had plenty of time to concentrate on our business because our core business is animal trading and it's been very quiet due to seasons and done a lot of work looking at figures and going back in history and adding figures up and looking at what the trends are that come out of running good sets of books, having good accounts and knowing your business inside out. And one thing that come out of all those figures and the experience of 40 years especially going back to when we did enter to where we are now, oh, God, we've got it easy now compared to at least 20-odd years ago as far as how we actually fund borrowings and get into borrowings and expand. Um, So drought and low interest rates, what are the opportunities they have created? Right at the moment, there's two groups of people in agriculture that are really, really pissed off with low interest rates. And they're being hurt equally as much as one another. You've got the next generation trying to get into ag that has no equity, and low interest rates to them are a waste. They aren't usable. They can't actually take advantage of low interest rates because they have no equity. And then you've got the next generation that hold all the equity that are trying to get out of agriculture which has been very much prompted more so in the last three years because of seasonal difficulties, where if they do get out of agriculture and they've incurred cost of drought in the last three years and they've still got to do succession, part of their income stream comes from selling that farm and living off the interest. So they've been well and truly affected by low interest rates as well because their money to invest in a simple IBD, interest-bearing deposit, It's only worth 1.5%, maybe 1.7%. And that's going backwards at a rate of knots if you've got to live, no matter whether you're young or old. Vendor finance is where we got our start. And I I now see the collision of the next generation wanting to get in and the older generation wanting to get out. If they can get their heads together as we did 20 years ago, it's going to be a win-win for both parties. And um, most of that, whether it happens or not, 
will depend on your skills as a communicator more so than your skills as a farmer. It's a different skill set. Um, vendor finance, the need to retire and exit out of agriculture has opened the, the it started to open the door for our business a long time ago and we were lucky enough to have a bloke who absolutely backed us in that we didn't know from a bar of soap. We'd lived in the same district as him, but we didn't actually know him. So I'm going to walk you through how that actually happened. We'd been trying to expand in our family business for a long time and the old fella well and truly had his foot on the guarantor part of our business. He feared debt, where I had no experience with debt because I'd never experienced it. So debt to him was an absolute enemy. And my experience with debt now is it's an absolute love affair. So what happened was we'd keep inspecting places and two of those properties got the contract signing up the day before going into the solicitors, someone up and the old bloke put his foot on it. So we had to get a whole lot more creative about getting into ag and doing our own thing. It was more important about doing your own thing than being hooked up with mum and dad. So this particular bloke, he had a ridiculous price on his property, which looking back wasn't ridiculous, but was to us at the time. We went and had a look around the farm he said, if you want another look, come back, jump on my bikes in the shed and go for a look for yourself. So we did that the next weekend. And we rang him that night, yep, love it, love everything we've seen, you've done a great job of managing it. And then he said, you've got to borrow money. And we said, yep. And he said, how much? And straight away I said all of it, which at the time was 1.7 million. So that bloke said to me, yep, right out, no worries. Do you want me to fund it? I went, what? He said, I'll supply the finance. I went, walk me through it. So he walked us through the process. He said, you go to a bank, three different banks, get three different written quotes, and I'll go 1% underneath that as your interest rate. And at the time, it was 7.5% we had to pay this bloke for his money. So that was fine. We did the thing, give it to him. He said, yep, right, that's the interest rate, 7.5%, Bob's your uncle. No, oh, Jesus, this is pretty bloody simple. He said, how are you going to stock it? I said, oh, I'll probably have to borrow more money. He said, well, don't worry about that. You take my sheep and pay for them over the next three years. We'll just do that at an agreed price. Remember, we had no relationship with this bloke. There was no, we weren't friends or cousins or anything. He was just a bloke who lived in our district. Remember, he had skills and we didn't. He was 53 at the time, and I was, uh, would have been about 30-something. But what he did was knew his business inside out, and he knew what was best for him and his business. He knew he could not invest that money anywhere else and get the same return of 7.5%. He knew he could slowly trickle the income stream of those sheep and all his machinery over the next three years and that way he would minimise his tax rate. So it was a win-win for him as well. Um, so we were very much in his hands and he told us how to go about it. He said, I'll tell you what we'll do. 
we'll have interest payments once a year and that'll be at the end of uh, January. Let's make it Australia Day. And he said, why the end of January? He said, most of your harvest money will be in by then. And at that time, the livestock industry was worth nothing, wool was worth nothing, lambs were worth nothing, mutton was worth nothing, and cattle were the same. So we did what most people did to roll that then. We went growing um, grain, canola and wheat mostly. So everything worked fine. He said, now I'll tell you what we'll do, you will pay interest once a year. If you want to pay principal, go for your life, you can do that. But after the first five years, he's going to fund us for 10 years. After the first five years, we're going to divide the principal amount by the next five years and you'll pay that out. And everything went according to plan without a hiccup. And the funny thing was, it did not stop raining for the first four years we owned that farm. It was well above average rainfall, perfectly timed. And we made bugger all out of that because all our commodities were at rock bottom. So that worked really, really well. There was no hang-ups. We were very understaffed because we weren't game enough to employ anyone. And I think it was seven years later, we got to do the next door neighbour's place on vendor finance again, and we just copied that model again. So that we grew again. And then we were sweating on another block coming up, joining, there's two blocks there and there's another one joining. We were absolutely sweating on this one because we knew this bloke was 73 year old and eventually he will have to retire or sell down a portion, proportion of what he owns. So I went and seen him and he said, yep, we'll sell it. I said, will you come up with a price? And when he gave me the price, he did an ambit claim. He would have been 40% over the market of what that was worth. But you were never going to talk him down in price, and why should you? Because he's the seller and I'm the buyer. I'm not going to go into what Parker did this morning having a tug of war, because no one will win. So I went away and thought about it. How do I actually make this work? When he wants this for it, I know it's worth this right at the moment, and this is what I can make it work at. So I actually took me a week to work it out, come up with it, and I went, geez, that's pretty bloody simple. So I went back to the kitchen table, and whenever you're doing negotiation, always make sure there's three people there. Because if there's two people there, they'll hear different things to what was actually said. So I made sure his wife was always there at the kitchen table and she was the, um, the go-between between the two of us in case we heard what we didn't hear and balls things up, to put it bluntly. So I walked in and we did the compulsory cup of tea in the Lamington. I leant across the table and I said, congratulations, I'll give you the money, what you asked for it. And the look on their faces were absolutely blown away. And they sat back in the chair and looked at one another and smiled and went sort of like this. And I went, I'll give you your money, but in return, I'll only have this condition on it. I'll pay a deposit for this one, and you have to supply the finance for the next five years at 0% interest. For that particular person, the interest wasn't of any consequence to him. It was about the ambent claim that he made and the bragging rights of selling that block at that particular price, which had never been seen before in our district. And you had to work out what was going to be his key leverage point 
to get it over the line. And all it was when you worked it out, five years of interest free on 75% of the purchase price brought it back to exactly what it was worth, which at the time I was happy to pay. So that, was, that went ahead and he supplied the finance for that one for five years. So we had it interest free for five years and we just went in there and literally ripped all infrastructure out and put everything back brand new wire and water. In each of those free, uh, free changes of hands, not a single thing went wrong. When you do vendor finance, the person that's the seller becomes first mortgagee in possession, exactly the same as your bank. So if something went pear-shaped, they just come back in and take the asset, the same as the bank would. And it was really simple and it really, really worked. And I see now is, I picked it up yesterday doing the bus trips just observing. It's the blokes that have got to pull their socks up with increasing your communication skills. If you want a free ride into agriculture without any equity or very little equity, what this drought in this period's done is absolutely opened the floodgates for anyone that has the skills to negotiate this. And I was lucky enough at the first time to have zero communication skills and knew nothing. But the bloke I was dealing with, thank God, did, because he made it all happen. So my thing was if you're looking at training, Go and do anything you can to increase your communication skills because men have got a habit of doing hard, hard. It's hard verbal, hard um, body language and you've got to introduce a soft, hard or even a soft, soft approach when you're doing business because hard, hard doesn't work, especially with the females. If you're doing negotiation and you've got to get this over the line with a husband and wife that are exiting agriculture, You've got to be addressing equal, each of those um, key people in that business to make sure you sell this to them where there is no worries about you ever doing anything wrong and creating a great win-win situation. So without doubt the biggest thing, the biggest change in our business has come from doing communication education. And a lot of that's been with Alan Parker. There's been some other great ones we've done. But it was Parker's one of the ones that's really hammered in and honed in and fine-tuned that for us. Um, so that's how we got our start. It was pretty bloody simple and it worked. The funny thing was when we told, when we bought the first place and we told the old bloke what he'd done, what we'd actually done, what do you reckon the first words were when we told him what we'd borrowed? What do you need? Keep going. You'll never pay it off. Who said that? You'll never pay it off. And probably one of the worst things he could have ever said. Because what happens then is you turn into, you know what, you just turn into something that's going to prove them wrong and that's exactly what happens. So if ever your kids turn up and say they're going into a business, get your sh shoulder behind the wheel and actually get in and push it and make it happen with them rather than fight against them. So that, that's how we got into agriculture and 
I don't think you can do it unless you have the, get your communication skills up to scratch. And if I was to give any of you any advice in agriculture, it's communication skills will get you further in life than farming skills at the moment. Um, it's a win-win for both parties. You've got to think, most cockies, when they retire, they might sell a $4 million asset. And normally they would have got 6 7% in 10 years gone past. And that was enough to keep mum and dad cash flowed. They held the asset they sold for four or five million and chose to distribute that between the family if that was the case or they just left it sitting there or they might have dug in and ate a bit of it. But most cockies don't. They try to hold the asset there and then fund it from some sort of investment. And most of them usually look at IBDs because interest-bearing deposits because it's just a simple, stupid way of investing money. So I see, for me, vendor finance, with what's going on at the moment with low interest rates, can anyone tell me a, a smarter way to get in DAG? Because if there was, you already would have done it. And what I heard yesterday on the bus trip was everyone's busting their bums to get out and do their own thing. So if what you've done in the past hasn't worked, well, let's have a go or crack at doing something different into the future. I don't have many slides with, with figures on, and the slides are only there to, for me to remind what to talk about. Do you think land right at the moment, and raise your voices and give me some feedback, do you think land's really dear? Would you have brought a, rather have brought a farm 20 years ago when it was incredibly cheap or today when it's incredibly dear? And is there any upside in being safe? Can you tell me where the danger is? If, if we've got to be safe, then where's the danger coming from that makes you want to be safe? Interest rates hit 20% again. We'll probably leave it there and we'll come back to this, com this conversation. So that was the first block we brought. You do, money doesn't create money. Assets create wealth. If I give you a heap of money, I guarantee you, you will perfectly match your expenditure to whatever I give you. But if you have assets that sit there and tick away, they're what creates wealth and keeps giving. And the mayor, is there a pointer on this? No, it's not pointer. It's the power of your money right now and what's the difference between what it had 22 years ago. 20, yeah, 22 years ago. Equity is incredibly expensive and painful to get. And it's slow to get. 
You don't want to concentrate on building equity. You want to use your brains about how do we actually get into a business with bugger all equity. Because once you start thinking about how do we do it with no equity, guess what happens? You're all doing it with the mindset, I've got to have equity before I can start this business. We'll change it around and think the other way. I don't need equity to get into business. Because we did it, and I can tell you, we weren't the sharpest chisels in the toolbox when we started off. Thank God we had a good mentor who held our hand into it, who happened to be the vendor. It's the power of your money now is what you've got to look at what's going on. And it's the capital appreciation is the thing you want to be looking at in business. Equity is incredibly slow and expensive to get, where finance is easy to get and it's cheap. If you can't get it, start using your head another way to find the stuff. I call it opium, other people's money. You can't live without opium because you can expand it exponentially. If that's your goal is to expand, you've got to use opium to do it. And right at the moment, it's so incredibly safe to do. Have things really changed in 2020, in 20 odd years of agriculture? Has there been massive, what do you reckon's actually gone on? I guess if I took the average age of the young farmers that are in here, they would be, didn't we do it this morning? They'd be 32 or something. There hasn't been, there's been a lot of change in your time if you've been back home for the last 15 years. And what have commodity prices really done to your business per millimetre of rain? Because I hear a lot of whinging, whinging and gut aching about drought. And that's what's happened at home in a period from 08 to last financial year. Have a look what's happened per millimetre of rainfall of gross sales. Then look at the last two years, 17, 18, 309 millimetres and 425 in the year we just finished. And then go right up to the 2009-10 um, was a fifth, one in 50 year event as far as rainfall. And look at the bit of coin we tipped out of it. If you look at 16, we had another one in 50 year event, but no one talked about it. We had 948 mils at home. No one talked about another 50-year event. And that, that uh, 15, uh, 16 year was our, uh, it was our Rugby World Cup. We smoked it that year. And we smoked it at Justin's stocking rate to carrying capacity going up. And we borrowed and borrowed and borrowed on animals. Um, in that year, we had in that year, we had, uh, I think we just went over $6 million borrowed in animals because our systems were so rigid and we'd done it before that many times. We had complete faith in what we did, but we were forward selling everything before we brought the animals. And in this case, it was black steers and they all went into Rangers Valley. But look at the difference per millimetre of rain, what's going on with commodity prices. And there's one more thing in the last, say, five years. We specialise in selling our grass to the highest bidder. We do not make money 
out of sheep or cattle. We make money out of grass. And if you're going to sell a, a product, you want to have the mindset that you're selling grass because as soon as you put that perimeter on your business, it makes you think completely different. And right at the moment, grass is an incredibly precious commodity and that's why I'm hell-bent on holding every millimetre of that on my farm while we're in this period we're in. Our business is split into two businesses. It's a real estate business and it's a production business. And the production business can go from years like this with a zero return right through to a cracking return like we had in 16. But the real estate business, whether I choose to get out of bed this year and actually go to work for a whole financial year, guess what happens to it? It appreciates. And that's the one thing that keeps my head on my shoulders with we are a, a very low equity business. As soon as we get to 60%, we go and buy another farm. We've been doing that for uh, the last 12 years, very much so. So we get to 60%, we'll come back down to about 48% and buy another block because it's the easiest way I know of, of building wealth. Our carrying capacity ranges from six to 46,000. That's based upon grass budgets and grazing charts and grass measurements. But the thing that keeps me sane in these dry periods is no matter how dry it gets and how stuffed up my cash flow is and actual stuff I'm sold, it's the capital appreciation of that real estate business that keeps that business intact. I'll just pass that. Our business isn't divided into, and this has taken a long time to work out, it's been restructured and restructured for about 15 years and it's pretty stable for the last three. The core breeding herd now only makes up about 30, 35% of what we do and it's there as a core breeding herd only to pay the overheads and the direct costs of our business. The actual cash that comes into our business that supports everything comes from livestock trading. The only reason we have a livestock trading enterprise is to have a quick relief valve that has zero emotions attached to it when it comes to matching stock and rate to carrying capacity in dry periods. What you find when you have breeders is someone will be a lot more in love with them than what you are and they will find all the reasons in the world not to sell them. And we're seeing that everywhere. So Split your business up mentally into two. It's a real estate business. Whether you choose to get out of bed or not, the bloody thing's going to make you a fortune. It'll run at 7 and 8% annualised. The other part of your business is a production business. And what we're seeing now, looking back at all these figures, we're going to have to get an attitude like a condoblin grain grower, wheat grower condo. And we know this to be true. When we've got moisture like a condo wheat grower of 1.2 metres, we go like the bejesus and we borrow and borrow and borrow matching stocking rate to carrying capacity like we did in 16, we had no idea we were going to peak out at 60-odd thousand DSEs because we kept doing up our trend line and our grazing charts and doing grass budgets and we physically couldn't keep pouring the animals on quick enough. 
And those animals were only ever there for 100 days because they were always contracted before we brought them. What you focus on is what you got, what you'll get. And that's how we started the first slide. Your thoughts create your future. I get to visit a lot of farms, visiting clients. And the one thing most cockies have in common is they want to drill the living daylights out of direct cost. There is nothing to be gained in direct cost. And I'll explain why. For every livestock business, and I'm very livestock dominated, even though we have a big uh, fodder cropping program. For a livestock business to create a million dollars worth of sales, it takes about 300 grand of direct cost to do that million dollars worth of sales. Let's say I get a 10% saving, I screw the living bit out of everyone that I deal with to screw them down on cost, and I get a 10% saving on 300,000, it adds up to 30 grand. Wow, big effort. And why do you think it's easy to screw people on price and why is it always the go-to for cockies? Because it's bloody easy. And it's a skill that's been bred into them by previous generations, especially my old man. And it's a skill that's absolutely of no value to you because if you concentrate on turnover, everyone wins out of your business when you create extra turnover and you establish networks and relationships with people that want to deal with your business because you're not screwing them. I've got there, there's a 70 grand saving, but it's actually not. It's a 100 grand saving if I add 10 grand to a turnover of $1 million of sales. Break it down and work out, what does 100 grand buy me? It buys me a crack and labour unit. 100 grand at today's interest rates is another $3 million of borrowings if you want to look at 100 grand and what does it buy you. Remember, $100 million worth of dirt gives me an 8% return. I just created a passive income of what? Two eights of 16 and eights, 22, uh, 200 and someone work it out. I've got to concentrate. See how you've got a passive income there? But without doubt, and this is where the old bloke went wrong when he jammed it into us about you'll never pay it off, we didn't employ anyone for a long time. And we lived like slaves trying to prove him right. And what I see, because I get to visit so many farms through our stud operation, it's absolutely endemic in Australia, in young men and in old ones. They are that busy being busy I don't see many of them, I've got enough time to even make money. Because they're always in position one in their business as a slave. And they wear, I wear, I work for 80 hours a week like a badge of honour and brag about it. And I used to be worse than that. But I now know if I go into that position one where I just go back into my business and become a slave, guess what I get paid? A slave's wages. If I'm doing everything on my farm, I will make the exact amount that that wage, if I had to buy it, gets paid. I'll never forget it when our business coach took, took me through that. I went, that's not right. The harder the work, the more money you make. He said, you might think so. You need to build a business where you, you can get up in a helicopter and look down on that business. 
Because if you think it's hard to turn over an extra 10% of turnover, it is so bloody simple. When you can get up in a chopper and look down on your business and you've got time to plan ahead of time where you think the emotion, remember livestock's an emotion-driven business, where the emotion of this livestock business will go. You will crack a 10% extra return like that but you can't do it while you're down there in a coal mine swinging away on a pick. Because all this opportunity is just flying by you. And the reason I know that, if I go back to there, yeah, commodity prices changed, but it wasn't until we got back into 15, 16, and it happened with a change of management at home. Um, Justin and Amy left, and we had Joe come in, my son, managing the trading operation, and Brett was managing the stud. And I said, if you want to make my, if you want, don't want me micromanaging and riding the living, riding us all the time, make my job redundant. And that happened after about three years where it allowed me enough time to occasionally get up in a helicopter and look down at what was going on. It's bloody hard to make coin in this game if you're busy being busy. And I wish you luck, because I've given it a good try and it didn't work. If you have a very clear purpose, 75% of your head chatter suddenly disappears. If you're running a heap of enterprises, you're going to have a heap of chatter going on. And my thing is, work out what it is that you excel at, what it is that you love doing, what's most, absolutely most suited to the landscape that you farm in, and do a heap of it and forget about what everyone else is doing. And if you think you can and you think you can't, you're probably right. But the big thing we've got to do is bring more mentors into our business at a young age. When me and Kate started our business, our biggest fear was we didn't know anything about business. So what do you do? We hired a business coach. Guess what he did? Belted us into shape. Took him five years to turn us from very, very ordinary operators to having what Boris and what the other bloke said this morning was developing systems and all they are is a pathway and a road to the lighthouse on the top of the hill where your goals are and where you want to be. Incompletion equals overload. <laughs> and if you're busy being busy, You'll never get out of overload and you'll never get into innovation mode about how you think differently about your business. So we did a lot of vendor finance, but our biggest number one partner that we have in business now is in our bank, and it just happens to be at the time ANZ, and they have been incredibly easy for us to grow our business. Thank you, everyone. I hope you got something out of it. Absolutely incredible. Thank you, Nigel. We really appreciate that. That was Nigel Kieran speaking at the Young Farmer Business Program Conference in Dubbo. Want to learn more about what it takes to create a successful primary production business? Check out the rest of our talks on the business of farming. Find it on your podcast app or online. In the next episode, succession planning, how to set up your business for a long-lasting legacy. Communication underpins the conversations we need to have and we don't value training in it as much as we should. 
and we don't value setting the platforms in place so that we can have appropriate conversations in appropriate settings rather than those random conversations that can be alcohol fueled at family gatherings. They can end up in some disasters.